0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, and 13 through 18. The word of God speaks to us. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And he, and to him who lacks sense, she says, "Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant." But he does not know that the dead are, are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's word to us. Thanks
1: be to God. Awesome! Thanks, Holly. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good morning. Wow, that was awesome. I love it, man. You guys need to come back to the eleven too. So, don't tell the 11 o'clock people, but you guys are more fun. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's our little secret. We'll keep that between ourselves. Uh, hey, it's good to see you guys. If I haven't met you, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today, we're going to do a one-week sermon in Proverbs. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Proverbs. We're going to be in chapters 8 and 9. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the windowsills. You can take one of those home with you today. And uh, we'll also have the scriptures on the screen. Now, I... Uh, One of the most cool things that I've been able to do in the last 10 years has been this collaboration with two of our sister church plants in North Carolina. There's a church plant called One Harbor in Moorhead City, and uh, it's led by a good buddy of mine named Donnie Griggs. And then there's Frontline Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina, led by my good buddy, John Murphy. And uh, for about four or five years, we would get together once a year and do a men's discipleship campout on an uninhabited island in the Outer Banks. And so we would camp for about a week. Uh, We'd spend tons of time rod and reel fishing and spear fishing. And then in the evenings with these guys, we would do really deep transformative work talking about following Jesus, talking about being formed into his image and seeing men from all walks of life repenting of sin. Uh, It's been a time where historically we've had white-collar guys and blue-collar guys, country guys, city guys. Uh, We usually have a bunch of folks from uh, Fort Bragg that are in special forces show up at this. And in the midst of that crazy melting pot of men, we've just seen Jesus work. Now, something really funny happened about three years ago There was a dude that wasn't familiar with the ocean that was on this camp out, and he decided one afternoon that he was going to take the community paddleboard out for a paddle in the Atlantic. And uh, an hour went by, and the guy didn't show back up. Two hours went by, and the guy didn't show back up. Three hours went by and the dude didn't show back up and by then everybody was worried. And so search parties went out on the beach and they just started combing the beach for this guy, hoping that he paddled in. And uh, they searched all the area around us, like a two mile stretch of beach. And finally they decided that they were gonna go to the far north end of the island, right at the edge where there's nothing left, no land to see if the guy was there. And when they got to the end of the island, they looked out in the ocean and like 500 yards offshore this dude was asleep on the paddleboard he decided to take a nap on the paddleboard and the next stop that he was heading for was Nova Scotia <laughs> brother the brother was about to be adrift in the atlantic with nothing to survive on but a paddle Now, I tell you that story because, one, uh, that guy is ridiculous. Don't be that guy. But I also tell you that story because that's actually a really powerful, potent picture of what happens with our deformation as the people of God. Like, you don't have to do anything to be deformed to be drawn away from Jesus, to have your affections to the things of God deadened, to have worldliness actually shape your worldview more than God's word. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is go to sleep on the paddleboard, and the current of culture, the winds of culture, the waves of culture will devour you. And I've seen in the course of the last five years, men and women more rapidly deform and deconstruct their faith than what I've ever seen in the life of our church. So in a couple of weeks, as we dive into this counterformation module on identity, what we're trying to do is equip you guys and serve you guys and encourage you guys, not with browbeating and not with the list of things that you have to do to be pleasing to Jesus, but because Jesus loves you, we want to come alongside you and give you the tools that you need to actually put your paddle in the water to go upstream instead of downstream, to take responsibility for your spiritual formation. And this is really important. It really matters because the world is complex, the world is dangerous, and we're sinful. This last week, my, uh, my baby daughter celebrated her 22nd birthday, which is crazy. It's crazy. And I actually do feel that old. And in the midst of taking her and her boyfriend out to dinner and just being with her, we talked about the day she was born. And and this certainly happened with the birth of my son, who's 19, uh, but the birth of my daughter was really profound. And, And what I experienced in that moment when she was put under the little baby burger heating lamp was like this simultaneous thing that I wasn't prepared for as a 23-year-old man, um, my heart expanded in its capacity to love and it expanded in its capacity to hurt. And what I felt in that moment was just the unbelievably dangerous world that she was stepping into, a world with ideologies and philosophies, a world where bumper sticker bumper sticker theology is not going to get us through a world where we're constantly being pushed into being shallow instead of deep a world that actually does want to devour the souls of the people that live in it yeah, right. and in the midst of in the midst of the life of our church what i want to do so badly, what I want to do is I want for you and me to simply do the little things that make incremental steps towards the journey of transformation. Sometimes God does huge giant things in a moment. It's like a miracle and you can't deny it and it changes your life. But more often than not, the thing that's shaping where you're going to be in one year are the little, simple, habitual rhythms of engaging with God engaging with his word, engaging with his people, being a part of the church gathered, confessing sin, being involved in a community group, jumping into a discipleship group. So today, what I wanna do is just kind of give you the why behind counterformation. And what I wanna do as we give you guys the why behind counterformation is just name that the Bible metaphorically tells us in Proverbs that there are constantly two voices in your ear. There's two ladies that are always inviting you and me over for dinner. And the two ladies have mixed their wine and they've set their table and they're calling out in the streets of OKC for you to come in and dine with them. And the first lady that wants you to dine with her, the Bible calls Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom wants to equip you and shape you to live with the grain of reality, to actually be in step with what's true and what's good and what's beautiful. And the writers of the book of Proverbs, the wise men of Israel, wrote these words to try to come along young noblemen so that they could live a life of virtue and not bring reproach on the people of God. And God inspired these words in scripture so that we could hear the voice of lady wisdom and actually walk out the high calling on men and women to be joint heirs with Jesus, to actually take dominion in the earth, not ruling and not demanding in a way that's self-serving, but to actually take the sphere that God's given you, your body and your job and your relationship and your home and your kids, and to lead those things in such a way that the glory of God gets established in the earth to live a life that's in step with what's true. And here's what's crazy about truth truth is also beautiful. God wants you to live a life of beauty, not an easy life, but a good life. But there's another lady that's constantly calling to us, and we hear her voice way more easily. And the Bible describes her as Lady Folly. Lady Folly. And Lady Folly wants to tell you what you want to hear. She wants to serve you a meal that's poisoned. She wants to lead you away from what's true and lead you away from what's beautiful. And in the midst of in the midst of counterformation, what we're trying to do is simply tune our ears and tune our hearts to Lady Wisdom. To have a better relationship with Lady Wisdom in the practical workings of our life. So, take your Bible. I'm gonna show you these two ladies and we're gonna talk about what they're inviting you to. Um, Lady Folly is who we're gonna talk about first. And the first thing we see in Proverbs chapter 9 is that Lady Folly is always talking loudly. She's boisterous, she's loud, and she's clear. Look at verse 13. The woman Folly is loud, she's loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat in the highest places of the town, the place that you can definitely hear her voice from. She calls to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, and she says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Come. Now, here's the point of this you don't have to look for Lady Folly, she's always easy to hear. She's always talking. She's always speaking. And I would actually argue that the culture that this was written into, the voice of Lady Folly was less amplified than the voice of Lady Folly in a moment where we constantly are plugged in to technology that simply turns up the volume on her words. We live in a moment where all around us, all around us, and and this is not like me being anti technology and telling you that you should never watch TV or that Frontline's gonna buy a commune in Midwest City and churn our own butter. But in our cultural moment, Lady Folly's voice is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And what's interesting about Lady Folly is that she's way easier to hear than Lady Wisdom because she actually speaks the natural language of our heart. Isn't it interesting? I've never been good at studying languages. Uh, I studied Russian for a semester in high school, which is a really weird elective. I think it was the baseball coach that taught it. Um, I took like three years of Spanish. I speak zero Spanish. But it's interesting for you guys that actually are good at language, you know you're starting to become fluent in a language when you start to dream in that language. And and the thing about Lady Folly that's really fascinating is she actually speaks the language of our dreams. The Bible tells us that folly, this is Proverbs chapter 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. What that means is you don't have to do anything to interpret the voice of folly, to understand the voice of folly. You know the voice of folly if you follow your natural inclinations away from God. This is why the cultural message that's all around us, perhaps the most pervasive cultural message of just follow your own heart and just be true to yourself, that's why it leads us to do really dumb things that hurt the people around us and destroy our lives, Because the reality is, if you're true to your heart, you're denying the fact that your heart is, according to the Bible, constantly trying to trick you. (laughs) It's deceptive. And without the intervening work of Jesus to give you a new heart, it's actually described by the Bible as wicked. So Lady Folly speaks loudly, Lady Folly speaks clearly, and she's easy for us to understand. And the Bible also tells us that she's seductive. She's seductive. Look at verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. Now here's what's crazy about this. Nobody would follow the voice of lady folly if she told us to do things that we didn't already want to do, right? Like, can we just be honest about it? When you're in a tough spot in your marriage and it feels really hard, and you have a coworker that starts to take interest in you, and you start to build this fantasy scenario about the coworker because you're bought into the lie that the grass is greener, like Lady Folly's not selling you anything that you don't already want to buy. The message of Lady Folly is so dangerous because she looks really good. She looks really good and her voice is really sweet and she never contradicts us. She never tells us no. She always tells us that that thing is what we really need, even if that thing is the thing that's going to kill us. She tells us what we want to hear. I think of the voice of Lady Folly in my life coming in the form of like justifying bitterness and unforgiveness, When somebody hurts me and I want revenge and I want to defend myself and I want to do like image management and I want to spin things and I want to fight and war against people that have hurt me. When Lady Folly comes into the room, what she says is, yeah, hey man, that's right. That's what you deserve. That's what you're entitled to. That's what you need. Take what's yours. If you don't fight for yourself, nobody will. Lady Folly always speaks the kinds of words that we want to hear in dark moments. But the third thing that's crazy is the Bible tells us that Lady Folly is actually stupid. She gives bad advice. Her advice is not helpful. Proverbs tells us that she knows nothing. She knows nothing. She doesn't keep her word. And the reason that she doesn't keep her word is that folly is actually anti-reality. Now, this is really important. It's easy to think that Christianity offers you this worldview that's like pie in the sky and it's just super spiritual and it doesn't actually work. But what we actually see and one of the reasons we're gonna walk through the book of Genesis is that the origin story of the cosmos is one in which God actually creates the fiber of reality to reflect his essence and his being. And the problem with folly is that it's, against the grain of reality, it doesn't work. To live a life of self-consumption and consumerism, even though that's the easiest thing in the world to do, it's against the grain of what you were created for, so it never leads to joy. It never leads to meaning. To live a life of unrestrained hedonism, doesn't lead to a flourishing life. Like, just read about where the beatniks ended up at the end of their lives. They weren't happy people that explored all their appetites and desires and then became, like, joyful grandparents. Just take all of the voices that are shaping us and forming us and leading us away from Jesus and just ask yourself like, hey, is this something that leads to a life of depth or is this something that leads to a life of dissipation where in two years or five years or 10 years, you're actually more captive. You're less yourself if you follow the voice of Lady Folly because what she sells isn't real. And the last thing that the Bible tells us about Lady Folly, is that she actually is a mass murderer. She stacked more bodies in her dining room than malaria. Look at verse 18. But he doesn't know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol, or the grave. Lady Folly leads to destruction. She leads to death. She leads to chaos. She is the voice of deconstruction, of decreation of the dismantling of identity. She fractures relationship. She removes joy. She leads to shallow, dry, parched land where we're not satisfied. This is why at the very heart of the Christian faith is true delight and satisfaction. Yes, there's self-denial. Yes, there are crosses to bear. Yes, there's pain in the Christian journey. Yes, following Jesus is a narrow road that's really hard and really costly. All that's true. But nonetheless, Jesus doesn't lie. And what Jesus said is that he came that we could have what? Life. Life. Abundant life. And what's crazy is like if we just take a survey of our life, like the places of our life that are against the grain of reality and the places of our lives that are working with the grain of reality, what we find is nothing beautiful and good has ever happened in any of our lives that wasn't also costly, that didn't require sacrifice. So let's listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom. Uh, Look at what she says. First of all, she calls to the simple and foolish. Look at Proverbs eight. Starting in verse one, says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out, and look at to whom she cries, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Verse five, O simple ones. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. Okay, this is unbelievably good news. Here's what we're seeing. The voice of Lady Wisdom is not the voice that only is directed to those that are wise or she wouldn't talk to anybody. Lady Wisdom actually invites the simple and the foolish to receive her counsel and to swallow the word of truth to be shaped and formed. What this means is, This is an evidence of God's kindness and grace that we don't have to stay in a life that's against the grain of the universe. We actually can be shaped to be in step with what's good and true and beautiful. This is such good news. I mean, people come to our church all the time in the wake of disaster. And I get it, man. Like, I mean, in, in the Bible Belt, with as many crazy church stories as a lot of you guys have, many of us wouldn't even step foot in a church if life wasn't chaotic and painful. Sometimes we have burned everything. We've burned our bridges. We've burned our relationship in the wake of addiction or being a workaholic or just not knowing how to manage being a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or in the midst of the endless, crazy, hectic world of dating that we live in. Things have been blown up, things have been fractured, and we show up to church, and what I've seen again and again and again is that the good news of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, is that God delights in meeting the simple and the foolish, and in the wake of what they've destroyed, he can build something beautiful. He actually can bring restoration, and he can teach us to actually learn from the things that have been destructive and deceptive. Now, let's take a second and let's look at the kinds of things that Lady Wisdom says to us. She speaks noble things, true things, and righteous things. Look at verse 6. Here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Uh, We're not a culture that talks about nobility. Uh, We kind of connect the idea with nobility, with all the things that we hate about England or maybe that's just me. Uh, <clears throat> but the ancient idea of nobility is the idea of virtue. It's the idea of substance and character for the blessing and benefit of others. It's the idea of responsibility and depth where you actually cultivate nobility so that it could be a shelter to those around you. The Proverbs 31 woman is not a stick to beat women with to try to make you feel like you don't stack up. The Proverbs 31 woman is a picture of feminine nobility. She's a woman who, with her intellect and her heart and her relationships and her work ethic, have built this shelter for those that are hers. And actually, in her nobility, the people around her are blessed and protected and encouraged. The nobility of David as a king when he got things right was the nobility of actually being led into suffering and pain in the wilderness so that when he was leading in healthy ways, his leadership could not be about taking but about giving. Lady Wisdom wants us to be the kind of people that cultivate nobility so that moms and dads together can become a shelter for their family. So that you as a boss can actually bring blessing and substance to your coworkers and to your employees. So that we as men and women can actually become the kind of men and women that can brother each other and sister each other to places that are good and beautiful and true. She wants to infuse in us virtue and nobility. And she does so by uttering truth. Look at verse 7. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Now, what's interesting about this is that when you have a heart that's bound up with folly, and it's easier to understand the voice of Lady Folly, when the voice of truth comes in, it often feels really bracing. It kind of feels like you just jumped into a pool that's freezing cold and you just want to climb out as fast as possible. Truth is sobering, truth is bracing, truth sometimes is inconvenient and painful and difficult to hear, but she utters truth because it's truth that actually has the power to set us free. Absent truth, absent truth, we're co- we're condemned to a life of constantly repeating the same dumb things until we eventually have to experience the terror of standing before a holy God and giving an account to him for why we only listen to lies instead of truth. She speaks truth. She speaks truth. And the reason she speaks truth is because she's only interested in words that are righteous. Look at verse eight of chapter eight. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. This means that her words correspond to the character of God. God is perfect in his righteousness. There's nothing twisted and knotted and bent. There's nothing shadowy in the life of God. God is perfect in holiness, perfect in goodness, perfect in beauty, and what Lady Wisdom does that's so powerful is she speaks words, she speaks words that correspond to the righteousness of God, because that actually is what corresponds to the grain of reality. It's not just that revenge, it's not just that revenge is a bad thing. Why? Well, because it probably won't work out and you'll burn bridges. No, like Revenge, in its essence, is a bad thing because it contradicts the righteousness of God, who's the just judge. Unforgiveness is not just bad because, you know, we want to be therapeutic people, and you know, that means that if you figure out how to forgive, you'll be happier. I mean, that's true, but unforgiveness is a really bad thing because it contradicts the character of God. It's against the grain of reality. He's a God that loves to forgive, lust and consuming is not just bad because we objectify people. It is true that it's bad because we objectify people. But what's so terrible about lust is that lust is against the character of God who lives in perfect covenant faithfulness to his people, who actually gives of himself. Doesn't take with his love, he gives with his love. So the words of Lady of Lady Wisdom are really beautiful because they correspond to the very nature of God. And the last thing I'll say about Lady Wisdom before we talk about how we can actually learn her language, the last thing I'll say is that her instructions are priceless, priceless. Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 8. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Here's what's amazing about this. Lady Wisdom loves, she loves to reward the people that sit down at her dinner table. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that following the voice of Lady Wisdom is going to lead to an easy life. Like, that's not true. Or Jesus got it all wrong because his life really wasn't easy and he's the wisest person that ever lived. But Lady Wisdom, nonetheless, she rewards those that sit at her table by actually deepening them and helping them to experience a life that's with the grain of the cosmos, with the grain of God, that actually results in a kind of joy that's not tethered to circumstances. Sometimes following Lady Wisdom's advice will mean that you walk in integrity in such a way that you might lose your job you might not settle for the people around you in your dating pool. Sometimes following the voice of Lady Wisdom might mean that you take a pay cut because you want to make sure that you can be a present dad but here's what's wild. Nonetheless, she lavishes good rewards on those that listen to her that are actually manifested in a life that's deeper and richer and more connected to that which is eternal and ultimate. Now, here's what I want to do. As we close today, I just want to ask one final question. How do we how do we learn to hear the voice of Lady Wisdom because she's hard to she's hard to hear she speaks a language that's foreign to our sinful hearts. So how do you learn to sit with her? How do we say yes to her invitation? And Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 gives us the invitation to her table. This is how we hear her invitation and respond. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. This is a refrain that's repeated throughout scripture. Listen to these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And and how is it possible that the Apostle John, the Apostle of love, could tell us that perfect love casts out fear? And yet, throughout the Bible, the Bible affirms that it's good and right and true to fear God. How do you hold those two things in tension? Are they contradictory? Well, the fear of the Lord is really interesting. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is actually seeing the glory and splendor of God in his unapproachability, that we're not holy and we can't get to God. And if we did get to God, it would be really bad for us because he's the just judge. But in the midst of his holiness and unapproachability, he has in Jesus made himself perfectly approachable because Jesus is the one that opened the door for us through his death. The fear of God is awe and wonder at God's holiness and God's splendor, and it's through Jesus actually having your heart rewired to realize that the thing that you need more than anything else is him. The fear of God is not constantly cowering, waiting like for God to be a cosmic policeman to destroy you. The fear of God includes certainly not wanting to displease God, knowing that there's sobriety, knowing that God loves his kids so much, he disciplines them, and he does use whatever amount of discipline is necessary to get their attention, and if needed, 1 Corinthians told us that God will even kill his sons and daughters to preserve their souls, So there is the fear of the Lord in like, hey, I don't want to disobey, but the fear of the Lord at its very heart is this posture that says, hey man, I want to be with him. I want what he has. I want what he says. Jesus is better than all the counterfeits. I want to be in the presence of God. I would rather be in the presence of God, the psalmist says, than live in a palace with all the comforts of the world that it would actually be better to live in a desert, in a wilderness, and know and enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ than to live in a high rise with all the pleasures of this world and to not have him. The fear of the Lord is this posture in which you can say to Jesus, whose wisdom embodied, you can say to Jesus, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Douglas O'Donnell sums up the fear of God in Proverbs, and it's helpful. Let me read it to you. According to the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is a continual, humble, and faithful submission to Yahweh, which compels one to hate evil, to turn away from it, and it brings with it rewards that are above all earthly treasures. The reward of love, and a knowledge of God, long life, confidence, satisfaction, and protection. And in the fullness of time, wisdom doesn't just speak through prophets and through teachers, through Solomon and the wise men of Israel. In the fullness of time, the wisdom of God, the perfect wisdom of God, took on flesh, came to live the life we were supposed to live and can't, and to die in our place and to be raised from the dead, to tear the veil that separated us from God through his own flesh, to actually bring us back into alignment with the grain of the cosmos, which is knowing, loving, and following the living God. So what I want for our church so bad is to realize that like, what God's after for your life is not grudging obedience to God because you're just afraid that folly might mess up your marriage. What I want for our church is true wisdom. where We realize that it is better and more beautiful to go against the grain of the world and with the grain of Jesus because Jesus is true and he's good and he's beautiful. And so as we dive into counterformation in all of our community groups, we're going to talk about what God says about your identity. The grain of the world that wants you to fall asleep on the paddleboard is telling you all kinds of things about who you are. It's telling you that you have to self-author. It's telling you that you have to posture and project. It's telling you that you should define yourself by groupthink. It's telling you all kinds of things. And Jesus invites you to the kind of wisdom and the kind of beauty that actually sees your identity as core, as a gift, and as something that you receive in Jesus. And there are all kinds of components to your identity. We're going to talk about them. Your body's part of your identity Your culture is part of your identity. Those are good things. Your job is part of your identity. Those are all things that matter. But what we find in scripture is that being a son, being a daughter of the living God through the finished work of Jesus is the thing that defines you and that makes you who you are. And it's not something you earn. It's not something you create. It's something you just get as a gift, which means you don't have to strive and you don't have to pretend you don't have to play the social media game because you actually are not up for vote if the living God has said you're his. you're his. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we dive into this counterformation module that you would shape us, you would form us, that you would deepen us. God, I pray that um, In all the places where Lady Folly is speaking so loudly and clearly and seductively, that you would tune our ears to hear Lady Wisdom. God, I pray that this would be a week where we figure out how to eat at Lady Wisdom's table. Her wine is better, her meat is better, her bread is better. And I pray right now that you would even bring specificity to our minds and hearts, the places where we've been dining with Folly. God, even if there's like a bit of a prophetic edge to just the application that I gave to husbands and wives about the grass being greener, I pray that there would just be like a holy fear that you would protect some people in the room from blowing up their lives. Um, I pray that you would give us strength to, to do the work, to repent as we come to the Lord's Supper and to have our minds renewed by the washing of the water of the word. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to speak the language of wisdom. God, doesn't the world need wise husbands and wise wives? Wise single men and single women and wise single men. Wise moms and wise dads. Doesn't the world need people that actually get formed into nobility? And Jesus, we thank you that you came to restore what we lost at the fall. And part of that restoration was that Adam and Eve were created to be a king and a queen. And Lord, you've given each of us different measures to lead and to care for, but every person in this room is ruling under your authority. We're just not all doing it very well. So will you help us to actually get in step with how you've created the cosmos. With your righteousness and your kindness and your love. May we forgive because you're forgiving. May we be pure of heart because you're pure of heart. May we be courageous because you're courageous. May we be dependable and trustworthy because you're dependable. We love you and we trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.